You're listening to the Charity Champions Podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is... Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. On this episode, nonprofit marketing during COVID-19. That harsh reality between how this has hit some and how it's affected others, that gap, there is storytelling there, there's messaging there that your organization can put out that creates emotion that drives people to want to take action. Chip Wilson is back on Zoom with leaders from our 36 charity champions. This is the audio version of that call. Catch the video version on our website, charitychampions.org. And now, here's Chip. I'm going to start by really kind of framing up marketing and fundraising in a time of crisis when things seem to be falling apart for a lot of organizations. You know, the the government has actually shut down specific businesses that can't even open. Others are are working because they're considered essential, but it has changed completely. My organization's a perfect example of that. We're still working, but we're all remote. We're doing more Zoom calls. We can't meet with our customers face-to-face on a regular basis. And so it has really caused some disruption. And because of this, in times like this, there are people that are opportunistic. So there's a lot of scams out there and a lot of dishonest people will do dishonest things uh, regardless if there's a pandemic or not. But for most organizations, like everybody on this Zoom call today, we wanna figure out how do we continue to be relevant and continue to stay in front of our people that we take care of and our fundraisers, you know, the people that donate to our cause and, and do it in a way that is caring and empathetic and doesn't come across too salesy to market in this situation. So I'm trying to say it the right way, but we, we don't want to come across in a bad way. And so there's things that we can do to continue to market and continue to raise funds and continue to, to share our message without coming across in a bad way. And so the, I've broken it down into really three points that I want to talk about. And again, then we'll open it up from there. So the first is what we call highlighting a gap. And when I say highlighting a gap, think of when you're talking about the mission of your organization and what you do. A lot of times people will focus on one or the other, meaning they tend to talk a little bit more about the problems. Here are the problems that we are facing Here are the issues that are going on right now in our community or in our population that we serve. Here are the real issues that are happening and it's gloom and doom and if we don't fix these problems, it's only gonna get worse, please help us. Then on the other hand, there's people that, uh, organizations that focus very heavily on the positive. Here's what we're doing to help others. Here's our metrics that we continue to hit year after year and we grow and our need is there and we have stepped up and we continue to get bigger and better and more successful. And because of that, we would like you to follow us and be a part of our cause. What minding the gap is, or the separation of gap, when it comes to storytelling and when it comes to sharing your message in a marketing way, minding the gap is this deep valley between what it is and what it can be where we've been and where we plan to go. And if you look over the history of time, 
some of the best leaders and some of the best uh, orators, people that give presentations, large mass presentations, they have mastered this ability. So I'll use an example of Martin Luther King. He was one of the first that became, I would say, famous for this. And he would talk about how this injustice in the world, how during the time when, when he was here and he was preaching and, and lecturing and talking about his cause, he would talk about how bad things are. But then he would say, but I have a dream. And my dream is when God's law and man's law line up together, then we've reached it. But until that day, this is reality. And he'd drag us right back to the harsh reality of the way things were during that time. But then he would balance it equally with, but I have a dream and here's what it looks like if we succeed and here's what it looks like if we do what we, we all know that we can do together and we do what's right and we, we invest with each other and we work with each other and we help each other. This is what utopia looks like. This is the way it's supposed to be. But never forget, this is where we are. And he would talk about some of the harsh realities that were going on. And that balancing act, that here to there and showing this wide gap in his storytelling and in his messaging made it extremely powerful. And when you look at a lot of different people that speak for a living, they will do that. They will show the harsh reality. They will show what it looks like on the other side. So during a time like this in a pandemic and when life has changed for us, and, and I would say very rapidly, I know January, February, things were bouncing along just like normal, and then here we go. And now we've been in this almost state of shock for some for this six, eight week period of time. And there is this big gap between what does it look like when this is over versus what is the harsh reality of where we're at right now with unemployment and with, you know, I, I saw something earlier today of checking the news and everything else, and it was talking about getting back to work and that there's some in the population, and I would say some of you on this call and, and myself, that it's hit us, but yet not at a level that it hits some. And that we are still continuing to work and we Zoom and we, you know, I, I have friends that have complained about their, they can't find anything good on Netflix to watch in this downtime and there's a lot of yard work going on and different things and that, is unrealistic for some people that are in the situation that were servers in a restaurant or uh, hair salons or different places where their income came to a complete stop and they are literally trying to figure out how they're going to buy food, how they're going to pay their utility bills, how they're going to do that. And that harsh reality between how this has hit some and how it's affected others, that gap, there is storytelling there, there's messaging there that your organization can put out that creates emotion that drives people to want to take action. And that gap is where the power is. The gap is where storytelling, good storytelling, can make a huge impact in getting people to want to follow your cause, whether it's to volunteer, whether it's to donate money, whether it's to get involved somehow at some level. That gap is the power and that storytelling is the power. Now, what happens is during times like this in small organizations, for-profit, non-profit, we focus on, you know, circling the wagons, buckling down and getting into survival mode. And so we tend to back off on the thing that is counterintuitive, but it's the thing we need to do the most. And that is market and put our message out there. It's just make sure that the message that you put out there is put out in a way that doesn't look opportunistic or self-serving. 
it is truly telling the story of how the people that you serve are being impacted right now. The community in which you serve is being impacted and those stories will drive interaction, which will then turn into donations and volunteers and, and support and the things that all of us on this call are looking for. The storytelling side of it, I'm a believer in video. I think video moves people more than a written text, unless you're really good at writing. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. Maybe that's why I'm biased towards video, but I, I think video can create more emotions because it's visual, It's there's sound to it, there's pictures, there's other people, there's different things. So I would encourage if if you are going to do something to, to put it out in that format, but make sure that it's done correctly and it's, it's done right and the messaging is done correctly on that one. Number two, in terms of if we want to show this gap between where we've been and where we want to go and we tell the stories and, and remember that, and if you've been through my courses before, you know when I talk about emotional intelligence, we are, we are emotional beings who justify our decisions with logic we are not logical beings that have to deal with our emotions. And so if that is the case, if, and, and I truly believe it is, we're emotional beings first that look for logic. Our messaging, our fundraising, marketing, our messaging out there has to be driven by emotion first with logic second. And the emotion side of it first, which we're trying to tie into the amygdala, that, that little walnut-sized thing in the middle of our brain where all emotion comes from, a lot of it, sometimes we're trying to sell people to agree with us. And what we know is that the best way to get people to agree with us is maybe not to give them facts, but to get them to come to the conclusion themselves. So point number two is creating the right questions that move people to come to the conclusion that you would like them to come to, which is to take action to help in some way. So let me give an example. Years ago, I think it was in the Philippines. I'm not exactly sure exactly which country it was, but they had a epidemic problem with smoking, that it started young and, and lots and lots of people smoked. And they did like the US has done and other countries have done. They decided to put out lots of statistics, lots of facts, and they said smoking will kill you and it causes cancer and lung disease and so on and so forth. And here's the rate of people that have done it and so on and so forth. And you should stop. And if you stop, here's what your lungs will can recoup so much. And they gave lots of facts and figures and put it out there. And of course, behavior did not change much. Curved it a little bit, but not a whole lot. So they they engaged an agency and said, hey, this is what we want to do. This is the problem we're trying to fix. Would you help us? And so they came up with an idea. Now, it was, a, it was a bold idea, but it was an idea altogether. And so what they did is they said, here's what we want to do. We want to take five, six, seven-year-old kids. We want to give them a cigarette, and we want to send them out on the streets to where smokers you know, will line up and take their smoke breaks and stuff. And we want to ask these young kids to walk up to a smoker and ask them for a light. And so these five-year-old kids with a cigarette in their hand would walk up to where smokers are and say, excuse me, sir, do you have a light? And the smoker would instantly, like all of us, would look at the child and go, wait a minute, hold on, no, I'm not giving you light. Why in the world would you ever start smoking? It's bad for you. That's a ter terrible, nasty habit. You don't want to do it. And the the five-year-olds were asked to memorize a couple of questions, and so they would say, well, why? Why is it bad for me? Just like little kids would do. And then the smokers would go on and on about, well, it's bad for you, and here's what happens, and you know, you, you wrinkle faster, and you, you get lung cancer, and this and that, and you can't breathe, and, and 
And the kids would go, but, but why, but why? And they, the smokers would go on and on and on. And then after the third question, the kids were asked to say, okay, well, here's a brochure with an 800 number on it. Please take your own advice and call this number. And what they found with the number of call-ins on the 800 number is that it went up close to 60 to 70% of call-ins when that campaign started. And the reason is because smokers needed to convince themselves of the reasons why they needed to stop. They didn't want to hear messaging from other people telling them stop. Now some of you that are on this call might relate to when someone tells you to do something, your instant instinct is to rebel, to question, why? Don't tell me what to do. If I want to do it, I'll do it myself, kind of thing. So what they did was they reversed the psychology. They used five-year-old kids to ask for a light, have the smokers switch the mentality of, don't tell me why I shouldn't do it, to switch to, I'm telling you why you shouldn't do it. And when we give advice to others, there is something in our brain that turns the dial just a little bit that makes us start down the path of saying, there is a reason why I got so passionate about telling this five-year-old not to do it. Maybe it is time for me to pay a little more attention because now internally they're listening to themselves. They're not listening to someone else telling them what to do. So in your marketing and in your messaging, are there questions that you can ask that would lead people fundraiser, you know, people that you want to donate or volunteer or support somehow, are there questions that you can ask that get people in their own process to come to the conclusion that they should invest with you at whatever that is? And what would those questions be? And vet those questions out and then build, again, the gap that we started with, point number one. Here's how bad it is. Here's what it looks like if we succeed. This is what success looks like over here, but here's reality right now. Now what, step two, what questions can we ask that will get people to say, I want to help fill in that gap. I see how bad it is. I see what the future looks like. The questions you are asking me are challenging enough to get me to think through why I should invest time, money, and energy into helping you close this gap. Then point number three, there's a concept of, that's called land and expand. And what land and expand means is that sometimes in marketing and sales, fundraising, we want the big gifts. Of course we do. We want people to donate a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of support, whatever it might be. And, and we shoot for those. We'd love to see those things. But sometimes the land and expand model is we want to ask for less, but be very specific about what we're asking for, but ask for less and then grow the relationship. And so the big gifts, you know, we want 25,000, 50,000, a million, whatever the number is, we want those, but they usually come through some type of relationship that's built. So under land and expand, what we do is we look at what is a very simple, low commitment way to build a relationship with people that don't necessarily invest a lot with us right now. And we land, and then how do we systematically grow that relationship with them? And so you develop an entire campaign around land and expand. How do we get in front of new people, show the gap, help ask the right questions to get them to move through the process? And one of the ways that we do that is, and again, I go back to storytelling, which is a big part of it, but also the visual aspects. 
And I know some of you have heard this story before, but I'll, I'll say it again because it's very powerful. There was, a, a, again, an organization a number of years ago that was, they sold weather stripping. That was the business that they were in. And so they hired a marketing firm to help them sell more weather stripping through retail. And so this firm said, okay, well, help us. And right now I'm filming from my uh, home down on Austin Avenue, and this home's 125 years old. It's a historic landmark. And, you know, when I bought this house 20 years ago, it had the original windows and doors and everything. And so there was cracks and leaks everywhere. And so they took that model and they built this basic frame house and they showed that you know three percent of your air conditioning and heat goes out through the attic and five percent crack it goes through all the cracks in your windows and another four percent goes through each of your doors and then you lose some through the foundation and they they showed all these different percentages they showed all these different percent percentages of how much is leaking out of a house and so if you went into Lowe's or Home Depot on the very end of the aisle, they called an end cap, you would see this display. And it had a picture of a, a frame house that showed all these different percentages on the house of where heat and air is leaking and the cost of that. And then below they had big stacks of weather stripping that said, buy our weather stripping and reduce that cost. And so they got really excited. They spent all this money. They rolled out this campaign and it was underwhelming. Very few sales came in because of it. They spent all this money. They could not figure out why. They, they showed all of the reasons why people should buy weather stripping, but yet there was no change in behavior. So after a period of time, they were frustrated. They actually ended up talking to a different agency saying, this is what we did. It didn't work. And they said, hey, let us give it a shot. And they came back with a different idea. They said, okay, if we take every percentage from the attic to the windows to the doors everything and we add those all up they come up to this percentage and it just so happens that this percentage added up is the size of a basketball so what we would like to do is take that same house that you have there but we want to put a hole in the house this big and say based on all the percentages of where you're leaking air and heat out of your home it's like having a hole in the side of your house the size of a basketball where air and heat can leave and money follows. They changed the messaging just a little bit with a more powerful visual of this big massive hole in the side of someone's house, changed out just the posters, left the sale price and everything else the same, just the poster, and they saw their sales skyrocket. Why? Well, it's because the amount of work people had to do to kind of add all that up and all the statistical numbers that they used were more gibberish and confusing than a simple, powerful visual of a hole in the side of your house this big where heat and air leave and money follows it. So my question to you then is when you are looking at the gap, here's how bad it is, but here's what success looks like after the pandemic and on. If we were to look at the right questions with the weather stripping, it might be how much money could you save if you closed a hole the size of a basketball in your house? Ask the right questions to get the answer that you want. And then number three, are you visually creating, whether it's in print, whether it's video, whether it's on your website, whether it's in your brochures, whether it's in your events, your social media posts, everything that you do, are you posting stuff out there? Are you pushing stuff out there that is mediocre, that is not driving 
emotion. It's more stats. It's more statistics. It's more, we need your help. It's pictures of different things that aren't driving behavior. Or are you taking the time to really focus on your messaging? What messaging drives behavior? Because that's really what we want. We want people to change behavior and modify behavior. And are we storytelling it the right way to get people to move the way we want? Now I will say during, and, and I've done two different Zoom calls like this recently for other clients because they want to market during this crisis, but they don't want to come across self-serving. You know, they're like, hey, we could put our stuff on sale. We could do all kinds of stuff, but it makes us look bad. What do we do? And I continually come back to tell the story of customers that you have helped during this time. Because if you can do that, if you can tell the stories about the customers that you've helped during this time and make it emotional enough, meaning upbeat, happy, or scary, or sad, or show the gap between where it was and where they are. I mean, one of my favorites is when they see, you know, I watch quick little videos where they have a, a puppy that has been stranded and it's scared and shaking and it's under a house and somebody rescues this puppy that's scared and biting at him and covered in mats and everything else. And then they fast forward and he's, he or she's been adopted and they're all clean. They're running around with other dogs and they're happy and their tails wagging and everything else. That's the gap. That's what I'm talking about. It's, this is how bad it is, life threatening, but this is what it looks like on the other side. If we have your help, we need your help to go from here to here. That storytelling is the big powerful point to it. Now I'm going to end with one thing and then I'm going to open it up for questions. There's a gentleman out there named Donald Miller and he has a whole marketing system that he talks about and it's a really good system. I've followed him for a number of years and his methodology, and I, I know some of us have talked about this before, is that everything in life, every story, every movie that you see, every book that you read has a framework to it. And there are six or seven pieces to the framework. The first is a character enters the movie. And so in this situation, let's say it's a, a damsel in distress who enters and she has a problem. She needs to get across the forest over to the other side to her castle, but there's all kinds of problems in the forest, people that want to kill her and wolves and all kinds of stuff. And so she enters and she has a problem and she needs help. Now in act two, there's two different types of characters that can enter. The first character is Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so he shows up and for some of you that are young on this here, he used to be really strong and buff and he was the Terminator. So that's a long time ago. I'm aging myself right now. But so the Terminator would show up and he would say, okay, you know, stand behind me. I'm going to get you across the forest over to the castle. Don't worry about it. And so the entire movie is about him fighting off all these bad things. And he's the hero and she's secondary. He's protecting her, but it's about how strong he is and powerful and, and how he can fight and take care of the problems. And, and then he takes her and drops her off you know, at the castle and, and the prince is there and it ends wonderful and everybody admires how strong this Arnold Schwarzenegger is. Now the other route to go is in act two is enters someone who is there to coach and help and mentor the princess through it. So the analogy I would use there is Mr. Miyagi in the Karate Kid. So if you don't know the story of the Karate Kid, he moved to a new city with his mom and he started going to a new school and there was some bullies there that were picking on him and beating him up. And he decides he's got to figure out how to defend himself. And he ends up meeting Mr. Miyagi, who is a 
little bitty guy, but he knows karate, and he says, Mr. Miyagi, would you help me learn karate? He says, yes, I will. And so over the movie, even though Mr. Miyagi has the ability to go beat up the kids at school, he doesn't. He teaches and coaches and helps and mentors. He's an advocate for Jonathan to learn how to defend himself the entire time. And throughout the movie, he overcomes a number of hurdles and obstacles with Mr. Miyagi there to coach him and teach him and help him. And at the very end, Daniel wins a big tournament in front of everybody and he gets really good at karate. And so when Daniel's up holding up his trophy that he won because he won this big tournament against the bullies, everybody loves Daniel, but the admiration and the, and, and the way people feel about Mr. Miyagi is out of this world. It's because he didn't want or need all of the accolation like possibly Arnold Schwarzenegger does. He's saying, I want to help and be there and coach and be an advocate for Jonathan to be able to learn how to take care of himself on the other end. I believe we, the best messaging, the best marketing that we can do is clean up our message, clarify our message, think about a, a gap. What is the problem? This is act number one. What does success look like? That's at the end of the movie. If we do what we're supposed to, we know there's things in the way and we want to help others help us get to the other side of this. The questions that we ask is, like Mr. Miyagi asked Jonathan, what do you think you need to learn for me to help you win? How can I be a support to you? What can I do along the way to not just to teach you the skills, but to support you and help you and be there? And then at the very end, we, we're very clear about the messaging side of it and how we put it out there and the visuals. And we're, we're not throwing up content on our website and social and everything else just because we haven't done something in a while, so let's post something. Or we're going to repost other people's stuff. We're very on purpose about our messaging and what we're putting out there. And are we talking to the right audience? Is our messaging lined up with what we need to say to get people to emotionally connect with us and then logically justify why they're investing money and time with us. And so there is a methodology to it. There's a path along here. And sometimes people don't understand these steps or they don't do these steps because it's not what they do. It's not their, you know, they have a day job and they got to figure this out. And so they have an intern or they have some people that say, well, I know a little bit about social media. So, okay, well then that's your job. Now you take it, you're in charge of our social media. And you know, I've got a, a friend who's got a a video camera, maybe we can video some stuff. Okay, well, my phone does it too. Oh, great, let's do that. And so we tend to put stuff out there and the messaging is not aligned. The ask is not clear. The land and expand model doesn't fit in there. The storytelling is not done correctly. And then our results kind of line up with what we put out there. Even the best intentions, like the first company that tried to sell weather stripping by putting a big house up there with statistics, even people that are in this business that do it for a living, sometimes miss the mark. So some trial and error through there and, and to understand what drives behavior is more important than what problem we're trying to fix in the world. We need to message it the right way to get people to take action and move forward with this. So I don't know if there's any questions on there. We'll start with the ones that Joe has, when the young people we serve need to remain anonymous. Okay, so the young people you serve, you can't talk about them. You can't tell stories about them. You can't talk about, so they need to be anonymous. Okay, my sister-in-law, works for the Child Advocacy Center in Dallas, very large organization, and they have the same situation. These are kids that need to be taken out of abusive homes, and so they had to come up with a campaign, and so we talked through a lot of it, and what they ended up with, and I think it's very powerful, is they have Jane Doe and John Doe. 
So these are pictures of generic children with a, they have a very small black line across their eyes. So you can tell it's a young boy or a young girl and their name is John Doe and Jane Doe. And the campaign is Save Jane Doe. And so they tell the same stories, real stories about real kids in their community, but they have labeled them Save Jane Doe, Save John Doe to protect you know, the identity of the children. And so people start to connect with Jane Doe and John Doe, but the stories that they tell are, these are real stories of real problems in our community, help save all the children, help save Jane Doe or John Doe. So that's one idea of a way you can do that to protect, if you can't share kids' pictures and names and stuff, which I completely understand, a Jane Doe or John Doe avatar, in a sense, would be the way to do that. Chip, I have a, a comment question. Okay. Um, I've listened to some other presenters and webinars recently who have said that communicating about anything other than COVID-related issues and needs right now would not be well-received. It, it appears to be tone-deaf. So how do, you, how do you see that, and how do you see people continuing to fund their mission when COVID is important as impacting everybody, but there's still other things going on? That's a great question, and here's what I believe. I believe the level of empathy for those that have right now can go up if they hear stories of people that have not and what's going on with them. There's more people at home right now, watching the news right now, on social media right now, that frankly, nonprofits, I, I believe, are a little more exempt from that message that you heard than maybe a for-profit. So if I sold, widgets for a living and I was out there saying, hey, I have a sell on widgets, people might be turned off on that. You're on the front lines that are helping people that are desperate and in need right now. And the government can't fix all problems. We know this. And so it falls on our local nonprofits and our local heroes, in a sense, to take care of the people that are the highest in need. And right now, there was people that weren't in the bucket of need that now are hardworking people. We're talking people that worked in retail and, and restaurants and servers and different stuff that these are not people that are looking for a handout or looking for help or they have been forced by something outside of their control to be put into this situation to talk about the need in our community and the gap between that. Personally, I do not think that a self-serving or overreaching out when it comes to marketing during the crisis. I do think, and I agree a little bit with the messaging that if you're in retail, if you're out there trying to sell your services right now and you're pushing it really hard during the crisis, it's probably gonna come across a little bit uh, jaded by the consumer, but I don't, I don't see that as much with certain nonprofits. I, th I think right now levels of empathy have gone up. I know that a few of the nonprofits that I work with closely have seen some bigger donations here recently just because of it, especially when it comes to food and taking care of people that are shut-ins, those kind of things. On video, uh, I think a lot of us are in this boat that we all love video and know that it's evocative and, and moves people, but the perception is, and I've been in this business a long time, is that it is just prohibitively expensive. Can you speak to, one, how expensive is it? And two, are there ways to do it without going Cadillac um, that are still gonna be effective and not denigrate your message because they look cheap. 
Okay, that's a great question. And the answer is there's this wide swath. So prior to YouTube, everything was like done like a commercial. That was the only way to do it. It was very expensive because you had to have all the right equipment and everything. And so it was really, really cost prohibitive a long time ago. Then YouTube came out, everybody had phones with cameras on it and stuff. So there, there was a little bit of a swing to where there was a lot more acceptance to homemade type YouTube videos. And there was a movie that came out a number of years ago. It was a scary movie where people were in the forest and they had a camera and somebody was trying to get them in, and they made this whole movie out of it using a phone basically. And it even more popularized the homemade movie type of, you know, it's okay to use that. Unfortunately, when it became very popular, now so many people do it that it's, it's lost some of its sizzle. And so there's a little bit of a swing back to let's make sure that we do it right. Pricing wise, if you were to go to Dallas or Austin or wherever, and, and I work in some of those markets right now on the high end, I'm gonna give you the high end first. The average going rate is $2,000 per finished minute of video. So if you're gonna do a one minute video, it's $2,000. Now that's expensive, I know. Uh, and when you create a two, three, four minute video, it adds up really quickly. Now we're talking about it's scripted with a crew that shows up, the editing, the music, everything, it's high end. On the other end, you know, you can look at creating videos to hire a firm anywhere from, I would say, you can get a pretty good video done for $1,500 in Waco, that market, 1500 to 2000 to have a really good professional video done that is shot with in 4K, the sound quality is good, the editing is great, the music. The mindset is you either want a two minute video or a 20 minute video. The two minute video is quick and easy, people watch it, they get the message and they move on. The 20 minute is you actually can tell a story, it's almost like a mini documentary. If you wanna do some type of ex, you know, deeper explanation on what services you provide and the value, you might need to do it a little bit longer. So those are the two. The longer it is, the cheaper you may get the per minute, where the shorter ones are gonna cost a little bit more. There's more and more technology out there that's making it easier for people to learn how to do it themselves. But there's an art to knowing how to shoot B-roll, how to interview correctly, you know, Jonathan, even on our Zoom calls, Jonathan back here, we've got lighting set up, we've got a 4K camera, we've got a number of stuff just to do our Zoom calls. So we're 100%, uh, we're the investment to buy the right equipment is probably more expensive than actually figuring out how to create the videos because there's a pretty substantial upfront investment. I, I would say if you wanted a good solid explanation video of the services that you provide, if you go to the main page of your website and there's a two minute, three minute video that explains what you do with B-roll and stuff, you're gonna be in that 1500 to 3500 range for a really good solid video. What we tend to do is stuff like this today, Jonathan will take this, edit it up into short little segments of the stories and different things and we'll use that as social media posts with what are called bookends. So if you watch any of the short videos we put out, there's a 360 logo that's animated that comes in at the very front then you see the video and then there's an ending page that maybe has the same logo with a website on it. Those are called bookends. So you can pay to have bookends made that are high end and then the video in between, you splice those together with music in the background and it lowers some of the cost moving forward because you don't have to create intros and exits to look professional. So there's some 
different tricks that you can do to do that. But video definitely is the way of the future. People consume it on their phone all day long, every day. It tells the story if it's done correctly. So that kind of gives you a, a little bit of idea of price range and, and ways to go about it. Thank you. You bet. Do you think there's still a place for direct mail? I do. And matter of fact, we do a lot of direct mail, but only for very specific industries. And there has to be a big enough ask for direct mail to make sense. So if you do 10,000 pieces and nonprofits get a better bulk rate and with the print and everything else, if you do 10,000, there's a way to track them all now. So we know when they hit the post office, we know that they're there. When they hit mailboxes, they each have tracking numbers. We know that they're hitting the mailboxes and then they're assigned directly to a specific 800 number or a, a landing page that's designed specifically for that so that we can track the open rate of what's coming through. But what we find is, and we do direct mail for mortgage companies, we do direct mail for a timeshare company that helps people get out of timeshares, credit, fixing credit, you know, those kind of things. We know that there's a direct correlation between how much does it cost to do the direct mail and how many leads do we convert that make X amount of dollars to justify the direct mail and because we can track it. But direct mail does not work unless there is a, a system in place to track exactly what the ask is in the direct mail to what we need. So that's why you get lots of credit card stuff in the mail. You get mortgage stuff in the mail. That's, it's because there's a very direct correlation to direct mail. How many did we, how many accounts did we open up? How many things did we sell that were big enough? So direct mail only works if, if you've answered all of those questions to make sure that they, that they line up. They're not, in my opinion, they're not good for awareness. Don't do a direct mail piece just so that people are aware that you're out there. Email is how you do that. And email right now is still, even though some people think it's old news, it is still ranked the number one way to stay in front of people. It's cost-effective, you know, it's free, it's cost-effective, you know who opens the emails if you have a good customer relationship management system. You know who opens them. You can embed video in them. You can embed stories in them. You can do all kinds of stuff. You can build your database, send it out. I would, when it comes to low cost, email is still number one by far because it's direct to the person. And there's ways now through social media, which is also free, but you got to create good content to take your mailing list and embed it into your social media platform to where whatever email you send out is also showing up on their newsfeed. So if you have a list of people that donate to your cause or have in the past, we can take that list, upload it into Facebook, for example, and now it'll start showing up on their Facebook feeds. And there's a way to do that with Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, other things. So those are still very relevant. Jim, but assuming that you have a good story and you have a good message that you need to market, is there kind of minimum guidelines? How often do you need to be promoting your organization? Is there, you know, what, what, what kind of timeline would you share with us on that? It's a good question. So there's two schools of thought. I have an opinion. I can't say it's right or wrong. It's just an opinion. There's some people that post and push stuff out every single day. I believe when someone pushes content out every day, we become numb to it and we ignore it. I'm under the opinion that once a week, twice a month, you're better off to push out something thoughtful, professional, really put together once or twice a month 
is more impactful because people see it and will open it if it's good stuff than you are to put something out there every single day just because you feel you need to put something out every single day. And just for SEO purposes or search engine optimization for your website and different things, when you link your social channels and your emails and other stuff to your website, it helps with your SEO and you move up in the search engine. The number of engagement is what you're looking for. You're not looking for likes. You're not looking for that kind of stuff. What you're looking for is engagement. People that see what you put out there and click on the link and watch your video. You're looking for people that reshare your content because they think it's good. Engagement is what we measure, not likes. That is meaningless. That is a dopamine release for somebody who puts a selfie up there and they want to see how many people like it. It's worthless. It's engagement that we have to focus on. People get engaged in stuff that captures their attention and that is a lot more valuable. And if you did that once or twice a month or once a week, you're much better off than doing something every single day that's just hard to keep up with. So you're just throwing stuff up there. It, it has lost its appeal. Marketing is noise. There is so much noise out there right now. How do you get people's attention? It's good content. That's how you get people's attention. And it takes time to create good content. So I'd do it less, but make it good versus more that's average. I truly appreciate y'all coming on today. You know, we're doing these Zoom calls just because we want to stay connected and hopefully soon, very soon, we'll, we'll be able to see each other again and get back to, to meet. I, I don't know if we'll be shaking hands or fist bumping or waving from across the room. I don't know, but uh, it'd be good to see everybody. All right, everybody, have a wonderful week. Thanks for logging on. Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org and look for the nominate button at the top of the page. You can also find more information on this podcast and all charity champions at charitychampions.org. We'll see you next time.